Hello and welcome to Happy Hour on the Fringe. My name is Tanara Kalem and I'm the Community Engagement Manager here at Fringe Arts. In the wake of the global coronavirus pandemic, many of us, particularly those of us in arts organizations, have had to reflect on ways to do our work despite dramatic external disruptions. I can't speak for any of our listeners, but social distancing measures have made me personally think long and hard about how to engage communities when we can't be in the same room together. One thing that Fringe Arts is excited to continue doing is connecting our audiences with our artists and community partners through this podcast. So during the global coronavirus pandemic, you can expect more frequent episodes of Happy Hour on the Fringe. These episodes will range in topics from how artists are responding to the pandemic, the intersection between art and public health, and how community partners are working to meet the specific needs of their constituents. Today, you're going to hear a conversation between me and Nick Tandavanich and Matt Adams of the UK-based company Blast Theory. Blast Theory was in Philadelphia last September doing a project on pandemics with the Muda Museum, so we definitely wanted to talk to them as soon as possible. We hope that everyone, our listeners and those they care about, remains safe, healthy, and positive during this time. We're committed to continuing our work in whatever way we can while prioritizing the safety of our city. In the meantime, you can check our website, www.fringearts.com backslash COVID-19 for updates to our public programming schedule. Be well, be safe, and as always, enjoy our fascinating conversations with some of the most imaginative people on this plane of existence. Matt, we met in September, or really before then in the summer, because you were in Philadelphia working on a really exciting project with your company. So if either you or Nick want to want to share more information about that, that would be great. Yeah, sure. So we were invited to come and make work in Philadelphia by the Mutter Museum in about 2016, 2017, to create a commissioned artwork to run alongside the Spitzpreds death exhibit that um, uh, is currently running at the Mutter in Philadelphia. That exhibit deals with the 1918-19 flu pandemic in Philadelphia. And that was a, a global pandemic in which up to 100 million people died over a period of a few months. Um, but it, it's strikingly similar in some ways to the COVID-19 pandemic that we're currently experiencing. And um, we worked with researchers and curators at the Mutter to, to develop an artwork that would reflect some of the ideas around pandemics and public health that the Mutter were interested in exploring. We created a parade um, that took place on the 28th of September, 2019. And the reason that um, we created a parade is that on the 28th of September 1918, just as flu was arriving into Philadelphia and starting to spread from the Navy Yard um, north into the city, the local government 
decided to go ahead with um, a patriotic parade to sell liberty bonds to raise money for World War One, and um, although medical officials advised against the parade going ahead, the city decided to to allow it to proceed, and about two hundred thousand people came out onto Broad Street to to watch the parade, which was a fateful error and the death rate in Philadelphia spiked within a few days every hospital bed was filled and by October the 12th which is the worst day of the outbreak almost 800 people died on that one day alone in Philadelphia so when we think of how scary it is right now with countries reporting 800 Mm -hmm. dead in a day it really says a lot about Philadelphia which it was of course a much smaller city Mm -hmm. then than it is now losing 800 citizens yeah. on a single day. So you created this parade. Um, what was the development process like with the Mütter Museum to sort of land on this uh, final product, which was a processional up Broad Street to commemorate the people who died? So we were given um, complete freedom to make any kind of work that we wanted and we're known for making interactive projects, but we also make quite a lot of work that is digitally driven in, in one way or another. We've made work that is using location-based technology for mobile and for the web, mixed reality and virtual reality, augmented reality projects. So early on, I think we did look at those as possible ways of making a piece of work. But but once we learned about the parade it, 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 that took place in 1918, that was just such a transfixing moment because it's you know you you literally have a, a few hours in which something that was already a very serious disease outbreak escalates to become right. catastrophic. Philadelphia was just about the worst hit major city in the United States in terms of the death rate. And that was clearly as a result of, of the decision making that was that was um, taken at the time. So, you know, we, we then looked more and more closely at the parade and we worked with a visual arts curator, um, Trevor Smith, who works at the Peabody Essex Museum. And um, you know, in conversation with Trevor, the idea of actually holding a parade ourselves really came into focus. And suddenly that idea of inviting people to participate with us in rewalking that route on the anniversary of that parade and then honouring the individuals mm-hmm. who died seemed, seemed a really powerful way to go for us. One of the striking things of, uh, that happened at the time is that People were dying in such great numbers that mass mm. graves were dug and funerals weren't held. Many, many nurses and doctors were killed and so they ran out of nurses and doctors. And of course, this is all happening in the concluding weeks of World War One. And by November 1918, you have the conclusion of hostilities in World War One. So just as this terrible um, pandemic is taking form, this global conflict right. that had been running for four years is winding up. So you get these kind of this kind of jarring um, interrelationship between sort of celebration for the end of war at the same time as mourning all of these people who died. And we really wanted to try and find a way to personalise the sheer numbers mm-hmm. of people who died. Um, you know, when when you when you hear that between fifty and a hundred million people died in the nineteen eighteen flu pandemic. 
it's very difficult right. number to really get your head around and to, to, to sort of deal with what that means for so many individuals is, is incredibly mm-hmm. difficult. And so, you know, by gradually zooming in tighter and tighter until we were looking at just the people who died on a single day, that gave us nearly 800 people um, to, to think about. And that suddenly felt like we could really humanize them. And um, working with a researcher called Nick Bonneau, um, at the Mutter, we were able to identify the the, the, the names, the addresses, mm. the ages, and the and the jobs of each of those people. So Nick and his team uh, went through the, the the death certificates for every single wow. person who died in Philadelphia, um, over twenty thousand, and and pulled out all of their individual details um, where they had been born, um, and so on, so that we could really sort of look at them. Wow. Yeah. So I went to the parade um, and my whole curation process for who I was going to memorialize was entirely based on somebody who was my age. Like I just wanted to walk with the name of, you know, a 27 year old woman um, who died that day. And of course, being 27 in 1918 was a very different experience than being 27 in ni- uh, 2019. Um, but it is, it, it was, I was like really amazed at how many of the people who were there were healthcare workers and also are folks who had compromised immune system who, you know, this is in 2019, they were saying like the flu and these pandemics, they are really dangerous in a way that people don't actually know. Um, and now, you know, hindsight being 2020, like it's incredible to me that this project happened the year before this, our globe is now entering a shutdown mode in order to stave off the worst of a pandemic. So I'm just curious to hear from, from both of you or one of you, um, in what ways, like why, why did you take this project with the Mooter? Was it because you felt like there was urgency around the topic? Was it just an exciting opportunity to do work in a new place? I mean, this is kind of what Blast Theory does. So was this just, you know, another job that you guys get to, to sink your teeth into? If you can talk a little bit more about the before, that, that'd be really interesting. Yeah, so I guess one of the things that we, one of the ways that we really approach work is really trying to think about um, making experiences where people find themselves firsthand um, understanding what a moment in time or what an experience actually was or is. And um, I think when we talked about the parade and we talked about this as a piece of work, um, I think the thing thing that's really striking is that in the flu pandemic, it was completely transformative of the relationships between people and how they had to relate to one another and the way that people had to deal with the issue of people dying in their thousands. It was it created a, a dramatic kind of re-envisioning of how those systems of maintaining daily life worked. And that's a, a thing that we're now facing. And I think when we talked about working with the Mutter Museum and making a piece of work that focused on the pandemic, I think one of the things that was particularly striking is that sense of people's everyday lives being completely transformed and how we understand that and how we can communicate that and how we can share that as an experience and try and understand it. You know, what we're seeing now in a pandemic is it's a moment where the sort of social and political realities of our society are, are brought vividly into focus 
Um, uh, so um, it's, it's a way in which we can understand how society is organized and we can talk about how we as individuals and as communities um, respond to the gravest threats. Um, you know, most of us are lucky enough to have grown up in an era where there has been no major catastrophes in our lives, uh, where there's been no world war, where people have gone off to die in large numbers. Um, we're, a, we're a surprisingly privileged generation when you look at uh, things historically. Um, certainly that's the case in, uh, in, in, in Europe and, and North America. Um, so this is, this is a moment where you suddenly feel uh, the, the fragility of, of your existence and, and the fragility of, of, of the way in which society is organised and you also see some in, incredible strength come from it. So, um, yeah, you know, the reason that we were interested in this invitation from the Mutter is it's a very particular context in which for us to make work and to talk about something very specific. So for us to collaborate with researchers who are looking at the individual death certificates, to collaborate with the, the team at the Mutter who have incredible in-depth knowledge of, of public health was, uh, you know, was a fantastic opportunity because you're working with raw data and, um, you, you know, we can look really carefully at, um, at, at what actually happened in that, in that event. Let me zoom out for a second um, and ask sort of a two-parter question. The first of which is like, what is Blast Theory's mission or what is your sort of organizing principle? And then how, if in, in whatever way, has that changed in this temporary moment of um, social distancing? Yeah, so, uh, well, at the moment we're, in terms of, how we're working at the moment we're we've closed our studio and we've set in place uh processes for working remotely um i guess a lot of people in um our situation are doing exactly the same thing as us um in terms of our our motive for, for the thing that really brought us together we was really thinking about how we could make work that was at once accessible and understandable and had um, an impact that might reach beyond uh, traditional art audiences and theatre-going audiences and to really reach an extended public, but could really um, find a way to speak critically about the situations that we find ourselves in and find languages which are at once mainstream or that draw on popular culture and popular events and popular understandings, but can find a, a, a critical approach to them. I think the other side of how we work and how we think about our work is, is precisely around uh, building our work around audiences and thinking in, about experiences which start with the user uh, or the audience member as a, as a key participant or a key part of the completion or the, the making of the work in some way yeah I think you know we're, we're a collaboration so um, along with Nick and I the third artist is, is Ju Rofar and um, one of the things that's 
sort of unites us is all three of us grew up in slightly strange uh, sort of backwater towns in, in the, uh, around um, uh, around London, um, all places with um, pretty um, kind of poor cultural uh, offer and. Um, uh, and, and I think we we each found our way to um, uh, to 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 be creative and to um, to feel the thrill of of artistic creation. And I think we really want to um, ensure that we can try and uh, offer that for for other people. All the work that we make is interactive, and the reason for that is that. We want to give people agency within our work. So, as a as someone who engages with our work, um, you you have the opportunity to um, to articulate something um, on your own terms, to take part in a way that that feels appropriate for you. Um, and there's clearly a social and a political mission to that as well, which is to to advocate. For for the integrity and importance of of, of every person, um, and that's um, that's just as true in this moment of of pandemic um, as it's ever been. Yeah. So because it's just as true in this moment, I mean, um, this is a question that has no judgment to either answer. Something that I've been fascinated by is people's responses, right? You know, there are so many people I know who um, are really using the pandemic as an opportunity to do what we were talking about before of just like to go into a space of introspection and to really pause. Um, And I think that that's lovely um, and certainly something I've been doing a lot of. And then also I feel like a real kick to um, respond and to be active and useful in a way that is appropriate and safe, obviously. But I'm curious, is there, um, like, this doesn't have to be about Blast Theory as a company, but I'm, I'm just curious, as artists, what, um, what response do you find yourself gravitating more towards? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that's been striking is uh, seeing just the amount of um, work that's happened in the UK for people to try and help one another. So for people helping their neighbours, but also I think uh, there was a kind of volunteering scheme recently announced uh, to help the NHS where people could volunteer to ferry supplies or transport patients or do people shopping. And they've they've surpassed their their hope of the number of volunteers. It's in the hundreds of thousands. I don't know exactly how many it is. Um, so to see that happening in sort of in real time and just, you know, amongst my neighbours in the block where I live, there's people who are kind of helping one another all, all the time and people taking on cleaning the building because I live in a, a, a block of apartments. It's 96 apartments and our cleaner is not very well. So it's, it's interesting to see it all happening. Well, we've had some really fascinating creative discussions this week, um, the three of us, about what, if anything, Blast Theory might do in this in this moment. Um, and uh, you know, we we're going to continue working creatively remotely through throughout the period. But I'm definitely more in the in the reflection mode. Um, I, I think you know this is this is a fascinating 
moment, uh, partly because society shifts at moments like this. And um, to me, you can already see the kind of political dimensions shaping up. Um, Are we we going to focus on... um, selfish individuals who refuse to social distance and amplify the disease or are we going to focus on governments that didn't plan as well as they might have done are we going to focus on how business is going to desperately need trillion dollar bailouts or are we going to focus on how individuals need hundreds and thousands of dollar bailouts Um, you know these are these are the contours of the of the coming um, uh, debate Um, so uh, you know, I, I think people who can respond in the moment, I think that's a, that's an amazing thing. But personally, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm processing. Yeah, and from my, my point of view, I think that role of art and performing arts as having um, a kind of social function and a, the act of kind of social gathering as being integral to them feels um, something kind of going forwards where... It, it is in, integral to to how they function. But I think the thing that's interesting now is is the way those social relationships are potentially being reconfigured with people being much more cautious about uh, travel and also kind of being having to find new ways of communicating using kind of mediated or using social media. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, this is. This is such a big question, but I'm just, um, I find myself thinking a lot about the way, um, I mean, because so much of what is, is happening is, is being asked to just like radically shift the way that we're living our lives. And I'm curious how art might, um, shift with it. Um, you know, I've been I've been working in a mode where art is a place of social gathering. It doesn't have to be, and certainly not all art um, relies on social gathering for it to be consumed and enjoyed. Um, but something that I'm really curious to see, and I'd love to hear you to um, respond to, is um, how art as uh, art as a as a piece of our cultural fabric is going to evolve in uh the wake of this when like we are being we're, we're gonna have to like really think a lot about um our responses to external disruptions just as you were saying that like there are so many different ways that we can go um and so as we're thinking about how we're like which direction we're going to move towards um in the future i'm curious like what role art plays in that evolution yeah I'm, i've been thinking a lot about um money uh, I had a conversation with a friend on Wednesday and he was making the point that you can see at a time like this that money is entirely imaginary. Uh, that if money needs to be created out of nowhere and given away, it can be done. And to the tune, not of millions or of billions, but of trillions of dollars, that money is created and dispersed with the click of a finger and we are nearly always told that there is not enough money to deal with homelessness or opioid addiction or any number of other social problems. And, um, you know, if art has a role, it is, it is to provide a place where we can imagine a slightly different world. We can glimpse of what may be 
and to be reminded that uh, many of the things that uh, we are, um, are, are schooled to take as as basic laws of humanity, um, these things have all been constructed and, Im- and, and embedded through certain decisions that have been made. Um, so I hope that this is a moment where we can kind of imagine other possibilities and um, that art can be a vehicle for us to, to do that. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm still, there's something that I'm still really curious about. Maybe there is no um, clean answer to it, but the project that you did with the Mütter Museum is so fascinating, not only because it's really prophetic, but also because it lives in this really unusual space of art intersecting with public health efforts or history of public health. Um, and I'm just like really fascinated by um, projects like these that are responding to what many people would see as like non-artistic experiences or non-artistic subjects. And I just wonder if either of you could speak to um, like the way that art specifically, and I think, you know, you already sort of mentioned this, Matt, with art helping us imagine a different future, but how it can help shift um our understanding of the like uh, porousness of subjects like health and public health and community organizing, like how, how can art continue to play a role in shaping those futures? That's a big question. (laughs) I ask only big questions in this podcast. I I think for for me, (laughs) if, you know, for me, it's, uh, you know, art is a kind of, it's a form of excess you know, it's 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 excess production. Uh, you know, the humans start to create art once their their basic needs are taken care of, and um, and and you know, in a kind of global capitalist structure, art is pure excess to the to the tunes of hundreds of millions of dollars for a single canvas. But it's also an excess in terms of how how it deals with the world it 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 has a license to to um to 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 configure itself into any possible shape it can be very amorphous and it therefore can connect things in ways that are unexpected to us it can it can provide a glimpse of something that we cannot see another way and that might be because there's an element of it that doesn't quite make sense. You know, if you think of sort of um, Damien Hurst's shark in a tank and the title of that work being The Physical Impossibility of Death in the Mind of Someone Living, I think is the right title. I may have just got that wrong. Uh, you know, that, that partly speaks about Sharks being in constant motion and the idea of, of 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 life, but there's an element of which of it which sort of evades understanding, and the great greatest artworks kind of do that in really enticing ways. You know, they're, 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 there's something paradoxical or contradictory about them. Um, I guess the Mona Lisa smile is the most um, cliched of all those examples, but it's but it's but. It, it's the act of thinking about something or approaching something which is hard to directly approach that I think that I think art can do. It offers us something 
where we we can think about things and a lot of it can be emotional as well you know a lot of it is about an emotional response to something where it's a bit uncanny it's a bit hard to grasp but it draws us back in and I, I think that's a way of, of being able to shape our experience of hu- of being humans, you know, where we where we have so many things that we can't quite articulate or we cannot quite um, come to terms with, art can do that in a very particular way, um, and 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 that's for me why it's exciting is um, because it, it it never gives up to you a, 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 a solution or an outcome it always offers you only a, a, a new a new way of moving forwards.